0: Well, Merry Christmas. It's our final week before Christmas, as you know, our final week of Advent, and it's an exciting time yet, yet. I don't know about you, but I feel like as I've been talking to people and I've heard a number of people and I've seen a number of very subtle posts and I've been reading a lot of body language and I've even felt it myself, I feel like there's a less excitement this year. It's almost like there's a greater uncertainty with what to do with joy. And, and, and it's not that people are joyless, I don't want you to get me wrong, but I've had to create my own word on what I feel like it is, and it's, I feel like people are joyzen, which is frozen joy. People are joysen, it's not Dutch or Finnish or anything, it's joysen, and, and, it, and unlike Elsa in Frozen, the cold should bother us anyways. And, and, and so this whole thing about this joysenness, which I'm even making the word more weird, it's, I'm trying to understand it. And some people might just go, well, that's just you, Matt. You're a blue, you're a melancholy, you're an Eeyore, you're a six wing seven for all you Enneagram people. And some of us go, well, yeah, it's been a crazy last couple of years. And so of course, there's a more uncertainty with joy and, and a little less excitement. But as I sit and I stir on these things, I start asking myself, I start asking us, am I, are we excited? Like seriously, and I know when I'm asking that, I'm asking in parallel, really, not are you excited about celebrations and celebrate, you know, presents and, and, and just like the services. Are we excited about Jesus? Like seriously, are we excited about Jesus? Are we excited about our Savior? Are we excited about our Lord? Are we excited about the life that we get? Do we still fathom the content and the person of who we get to experience in this time of the year and all the time? to be a people that follow Jesus and talk about Jesus and point to Jesus and live for Jesus and, and to be led by Jesus in every corner of our lives, to be people that epitomize the Advent themes and we're living by hope and peace and joy and love and life and light. Okay, that's enough sobering philosophical musings, right? Because I'm not here to make us all depressed. What all this compelled me to do because I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you is to talk about one last thing when it comes to our year of becoming. And that's about becoming excited, becoming enthusiastic. Last week, Pastor Lance talked about becoming passionate and he shared the story of of two different women getting a chance to show their passion for Jesus. And and this weekend we wanna talk about what does it look like to become excited? And I'm not talking about trying to fabricate fake smiles and walk around and be like, yeah, everything's fine, Jesus is great. I'm not talking about trying to like rile up some false energy. I'm talking about truly, seriously allowing ourselves to be informed and enthralled and centered on Jesus again. Where it just exudes from us. And not just on Christmas, but before Christmas and after Christmas and all the time. And so if you're here in the room today or you're watching online... And you feel like you're trapped in a land where you are sure that you cannot experience joy unless circumstances change. I need you to hear what God has to say about your joy. And I need you to be able to speak about how much God is your joy. And so you're gonna see a fill in the blank on your sheets, on your bulletins if you came in, or it's on there digitally for you watching online, or maybe you're tracking on your phone on the app. The fill in the blank for this weekend as our final year of final message on the year of becoming is that we can become an excited witness of Jesus. We can become an excited or you can write enthusiastic witness of Jesus. And that's because within the Christmas story, there's a character that we can learn so much, not just about, but we can learn so much from him. And he's a character that doesn't show up in a lot of our nativity scenes. And he's not talked about as much in our Christmas messages. And yet he's the other baby within the whole Christmas story. And that's John, John the Baptist, which you're going to see, we're going to call him John witness. And so what I'm going to do this weekend is I'm going to connect three different passages for us, almost like a sandwich. We're going to talk about a passage in John chapter one, then we're going to have the meat in Luke chapter one, and then we're going to go back to John chapter one. Make sense? All right. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter one, verse six. This is where you have John, the writer of the gospel or John the evangelist, talking about John the Baptist, but calling him John the witness. You confused yet? That's three different references to John, and two of those are different Johns. So John the Evangelist, the writer, is talking about John the Baptist, but he's not going to call him John the Baptist. He's going to call him John the Witness. So go ahead and look at the book of John, chapter 1, verse 6, where they're going to talk about the shining, brilliant light in this profound prologue, and it's going to interrupt it, and it's going to say, but let's talk about this guy, John. So this is what it says. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness. Of what? To bear witness about the light. Why? That all may believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives to everyone was coming into the world. A direct reference to Advent. The true light was coming into the world. And here you have this huge language of witness in John's gospel, where he's talking about this guy, John, and it says that he's sent from God, which is a term that he's a prophetic witness. He is one that is called for a purpose, called to a specific task to be a forthteller. I'm going to tell you about the one that's coming and how that's going to change everything. And everybody knew John was a prophet. And even Jesus in Matthew 11:9 9 and Luke 7, 26 is going to highlight that John is a prophet. And in John, the, the evangelist, John, the writer's gospel, he's not actually going to mention John's career in preaching about repentance for, for the kingdom or about John being the baptizer. He'll allude to it, but he's not going to share those narratives that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. Instead, John's gonna focus on John the witness as a witness, that he came onto the stage of created history and he was gonna talk about the one to come, but he was nothing like the one coming. He was sent on a mission to be the witness to the savior of the world, a witness so that all would believe. And I want you to catch something there when he says that he's a witness so that all would believe we are now being written into the Christmas story. Because when it says that all would believe, it's not talking about all just back then. It's talking about all that encounter the story, the narrative of Jesus Christ, the Lord. That when you hear that story, you are now involved and included and written into it as being impacted by this word that brings life and brings light. And those are the terms That this whole section, but especially these few verses and the verses before it are going to talk about, about light and life. Terms that talk about the excellencies of Jesus. Terms that earlier in this prologue are going to talk about his creative power, about him being there when God was creating the world. But it's also going to talk about his salvation power, and it's going to talk about how he lights up our lives. If you were to go a couple verses earlier to John 1, 4, it says, in the word, Jesus, was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so whereas earlier it's talking about how everything is alive by his life, now it's talking about this life that's this outside power that's showing up directly in our world. It's coming in and it's giving not just light, it's bringing us life. That when Jesus comes as the light, his purpose is to come for humanity to come for us because we need light. We need life because we are dead. And that's why he's bringing in. And it's not just life so that you get a ticket to heaven after you die. It's so that you can experience life now and be excited about that life now. And the writer, John, the evangelist, he would keep saying even more about this as you go along. If you were to jump over to verse 14, he would talk about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There's another reference to Advent. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the one and only of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he's gonna throw back to the Shekinah. This is a term in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory of the Lord. It has to do with his brilliant, illuminating light that signaled the visible residence of God's presence. Another word for it is chavod, which is the weight of his manifestation, that when God's presence is there, you feel it, you sense it, it's there, and it's illuminating into your life. And when you see that, you can do nothing else but talk about it. In the Greek, it's the term doxa, the weight of his presence, and that weight moves people. Now, I had an opportunity, when I was in my undergrad, I went to a school in Canada called Briarcrest Bible College. It was in Saskatchewan in the middle of nowhere, 40 below zero, So the only thing you can do is study. It was like the exact place to learn about God's word. And I was a faculty assistant for one of the teachers there. His name was Bob Steele. He was about early 70s. Guy knew everything about Bible and theology. Loved the guy. But he was such a boring teacher. Like he would sit there and he was the kind of guy that as he would talk, he would start mumbling and it would get quiet and he would start talking about Walter Brueggemann and how, you know, him and them talked in the corner about, you know, the old Testament narratives. And, and as he was talking, you would be like, but it's Bob seal And, and you would try to stay awake, but then every once in a while, and I can think of about four or five times this happened, something would switch in Bob. And it was always about when he was talking about the presence of God. And so I remember very specifically, all of my classmates remember this, that he's sitting, we would be all sitting on this U-shaped table setup, and we were all sitting down and Bob was talking in his low voice. And then he started talking about the tabernacle and he started talking, started talking about the presence of God. And he would be like, And then the presence of God dwelt among the people and it was the Shekinah glory. And then he would stand up and he'd be like, and when the Shekinah glory of the Lord, and he starts climbing on top of the table and we're all like, he's dead. He's like 70. He's gonna fall, the table's gonna break. He climbs on top of the table and he's like, and when the Shekinah glory of the Lord was in the people's midst, they knew it and they loved it and they wanted more of it. And we're all like, hallelujah. Like, like, because he like switched, his energy changed because he recognized what it meant that the presence of God was tabernacling, it was dwelling among the people that they had access to it face-to-face. And Bob knew exactly what John the witness knew, exactly what John the apostle knew, which is that God had chosen to make himself fully known finally and ultimately in the real person of Jesus Christ. The most personal, direct experience we have of the Shekinah glory, of the doxa of God was now among humanity. And that was something to be excited about and to point to. So we learn about John's mission in this passage and we learn about his witness, but we get more texts that don't just show us what and who he was witness to, but how, the way he showed an excitement in his witness and to see his consistent excitement for Jesus, And so now turn over to Luke chapter one, verse 39, where we're going to find that the stories of John, the witness and Jesus are intertwined in this intimate, personal fashion. John chapter one verse, or sorry, Luke chapter one, verse 39. We're going to read all the way to 45. And we're going to talk about bouncing babies. Luke one, 39 to 45. Mary has just had her dramatic encounter with the angel She's learned about what God's gonna be doing with raising up and bringing Jesus into the world. She finds out that her cousin Elizabeth, who's old and barren, is pregnant, and she's six months pregnant. And this is what verse 39 tells us. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Because when you're reading a story like this, you want to do this aspect of internal characterization and focalization, where you want to get yourself into the story. And I love this story because I feel like you can be there in the story. And in one way, you get a chance to kind of look into Elizabeth's womb and see that as Elizabeth draws near to Mary, or Mary draws near to Elizabeth, you see John start, you know, going crazy inside of her stomach. But you have to imagine also what happened in the scene, because the moment that happened, and I know that women do this all the time, and sometimes wives will do this with their husband, when a baby's kicking like that, they grab someone else's hand, and they put it right there on the stomach so that you can feel it Well, as well. And I believe that Elizabeth grabbed Mary's hand and did that. That makes a good sound, doesn't it? Right? And she did that and, and she ended up eyes huge, Mary's eyes get huge. And then Elizabeth starts prophesying. And to be in that moment with them and to feel that excitement with them. Now there was a part of me, the the old youth pastor side of me that was like, I should dress up as as Elizabeth and be a pregnant woman. And really, and then I was like, "Mm, I don't want to get fired yet. And, uh, but, but, you know, I, I love this story because all of this happens and you have to recognize Elizabeth didn't know yet that Mary was pregnant. She didn't know that. Mary didn't come in and be like, guess what? She just walks in and does a regular greeting. And that issues this response. And so what Elizabeth gets is God's revelation from her lips of how exciting this was going to be for all of the world. But here's the thing I think is so dynamic about this. Mary gets an angelic messenger. Joseph gets an angelic messenger. The shepherds get an angelic messenger. Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, gets an angelic messenger. Elizabeth herself, the Holy Spirit, wells up inside of her and speaks through her. That means that the text wants you to pay attention to this in just a slightly grander way because there's something powerful happening here. Now, to kind of get myself even more into understanding the story, there was a girl on our staff here. She actually just had her baby two days ago. Her name's Kirsty. She helps make all of our creative arts videos and does all those awesome edits. Well, she was like super pregnant, you know, about to deliver or like within a couple weeks of delivering it. And so two weeks ago, I'm talking to her about this passage and the baby leaping. And I'm like, you're my like case study because you feel this right now the most. And I was like, I need to know all your thoughts on this. And so Christy's like, okay, I'll think about it. And then I think at 2 a.m. that night, Baby starts going crazy in her stomach, and so she starts emailing me at 2 a.m., <laughs> and I, so I wake up to this message, and listen to what she says, because I think she describes it so well. She says, some say it feels like the baby is dancing inside of you, that they spin and move so much when active or excited that it feels like they're grooving to a song or break dancing. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's perfect. She says, you can feel them rolling and somersaulting and twisting and kicking and hiccuping. And it's crazy what movements you pick up on. I feel like there's someone shifting their weight on a waterbed inside of you. And she says, regardless of all this, feeling your baby leap inside of you is the biggest joy in pregnancy. Knowing that there's life happily growing inside of you, responding to a voice or a touch is a pretty cool feeling. And I was like, well said, well said. And, and, and I take that and then I also look at what people would say about this term for leaping, because the Greek term in the text is this word skirtal. And skirtal is, in in, in classical Greek, it's this picture of a horse being let loose into a paddock. And when you see a horse jumping and dancing and kicking and going all wild, that's skirtal. That's what Elizabeth is feeling in her stomach. In Jewish literature, they talk about it with rams and other young animals. And then even later in Greek writings, they'll talk about it as the human ability to feel rhythm and express harmony. And for people to demonstrate this at a very young age as they jump around. And I go, man, that is such good. Like somebody is taking a word and going, this is the perfect word to describe what's going on in Elizabeth's stomach. Now, our youngest child, his name is Henry. He's eight years old. He is the like good dancer of our family. He's the one that we've been at a few different weddings now where like he will go out and he will be among all these college students that are out there like breaking it down and he's out there and he's like, <laughs> and, and they're all around him like cheering him on and getting excited. And we're like, yes, he knows how to skirt And and within all of this, these are all expressions of joy and celebration and gladness, and that's what John is reflecting here. John's witness is that he's delighting in his savior even in utero. He's announcing ahead of time, before he's even born, how excited he is to be near the presence of his Lord. Bouncing John, excited to be near the presence of Jesus. Excited witness, excited rejoicing. And Elizabeth gets the chance to play the role of a prophet here. Though she doesn't get that designation, she ends up being prompted by a movement of this child, of John, and is filled with the Holy Spirit and discerns what no eye can disclose. And, And in a social world in that time that takes so little stock in what women have to say, to have this narrative that pivots around an encounter between two women and all the words they exchange, because right after this, Mary's gonna sing a whole song about how much this is gonna change not only her, but the world. This text is focusing us to see the excitement that not only John had, but the world can have. And and it tells us that Elizabeth lets this out in a loud cry, which I want you to hold on to because John's gonna do that later. And now this leaping in her stomach moves to more people expressing in a loud voice their excitement for the Savior. Look what she says to Mary. She says, blessed are you and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Later, she'll also tell Mary she's blessed again and she'll use two different terms in verse 42 and in verse 45. She'll use eulogio and makarios. Eulogio is the idea of Mary, you are favored and you are provided benefits by what you're experiencing. And then later, makarios is, you are gonna not only be full, but you're gonna be happy and you are privileged because you are a part of what God is doing in his kingdom. That's blessing upon blessing. This is a current state of blessing. But what you have to understand, especially in that first line in verse 42, is what comes up within it is a way of speaking that happened in the ancient world. And I always love when I find these little nuggets in their words, because it's what's called a parataxis. And you're like, what? Just think (laughs) parataxes. A parataxis is when the first blessing all hinges on the second blessing. Mary is not blessed just because of who she is. She is blessed because of the fullness of who Jesus is inside of her. The blessing inside of her on the son and his greatness is what is going to bless her. And then in verse 45, she's blessed for having a faith that what's gonna happen is going to be fulfilled. And so Elizabeth says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord would come? Now, in in some traditions, they'll really focus on the fact of her saying the mother of my Lord and the nature and that being that, that Mary is by that. And I think they're actually overemphasizing the wrong part in that text because when she talks about the mother of my Lord, what I think the text is trying to show us is the fact that, Jesus is only a few weeks in Mary's womb, likely, and he's already being called Lord. Like, this is before he's born. Like, we're going to celebrate Christmas on December 25th, right? Which is not when he was born. But nine months before that, he was already Lord. He was already coming into the world. He hadn't come out of the birth canal yet, but he was already in the word or in the world flesh among us. But the other thing I love about this passage is Elizabeth's humility, because being the older married woman, who's the wife of a priest, she's of higher status to Mary, who's a younger woman that's still living under her father's roof. And so she shouldn't have to bless or to acknowledge that Mary is above her. And yet she does she deems herself unworthy to receive, receive a visit from the mother of her Lord. Now, as you go on with the text, verse 56 will tell you that Mary spent three more months with Elizabeth, like the remainder of her pregnancy. How many more times did John go crazy in Elizabeth's stomach? And how many more times did she go, Mary, come over here, you know? And they, and they, they felt it, and they talked about it, and they declared the glories of God. And so like Mary and Elizabeth, I feel like we are amazingly steeped in the center of these astounding events. How do we become bouncing babies? Excitedly declaring Jesus. But let's go to the last part of that sandwich. Go back to John chapter one, but go to verse 39. Sorry, verse 29. John chapter one, verse 29. And we're gonna read up to 34. And we're gonna move from talking about a bouncing baby to now a bouncy, full-grown man. (laughs) Bouncy, full-grown man. John chapter one, verse 29. It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. Oh, sound familiar? I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me, that's God, to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with what? The Holy Spirit. Wow. And I have seen and I have borne witness, there it is again, that this is the son of God. And so you already know that John is a witness to the light. He is not the light, but he's a witness to the light. You see his bouncy excitement, his skirtau, as he gets near the presence of God. And when you take those two passages and you allow that to inform how you read this passage, do you think that when John saw Jesus walking, that he was like, hey, check it out, that's the guy that's going to take away the sin of the world, Lamb of God. Or, if he was a skirtau type of baby, do you think that when Jesus came by. John's like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And look at him, there he is right there. And Jesus is like, John, I, I think John had this bouncy excitement, this energy. And it wasn't because about his personality. I think it was about who he was pointing to. He knew who his savior was. He knew how this was going to change the world. He was excited. He was enthusiastic to see something or someone that would be an impact. And see, all of us do this. In some way, shape, or form, there are things that we get excited about. For some of you, some of you are grandparents in here, and, when, and you have grandkids, and when somebody starts asking you, or you're talking about your grandkids, you get this excitement and this joy, usually. Sometimes you're like, I'm gonna strangle. Yeah, but, but you get this excitement and this joy, and you're showing your pictures, and here they are. Even Even my mom, Well, after I did the message last service, she was sending me videos of my son, Henry, dancing at one of the weddings, right? So she's excitedly sharing. Some of you guys do that. Some parents, we do that. And not just when our kids are young, they do it when our kids are older. When I was in Israel, there was a guy on our trip named David Fasig. He was like my co-leader. He was my roommate. And he has a high school son that had broken his leg, but he was on the football team. And while we're in Galilee, Early in the morning, he's FaceTiming with his mom who they're watching the game that his son is playing in, but he's not really playing because he's got a broken leg. But they're down to the final wire and the coach puts him in, in his like semi-cast and he's bouncing, throwing, and he throws a touchdown throw. And David gets so excited and he leaves our room leaves our kibbutz, walks all the way over to where I am in the dining hall to excitedly share with me what his son had just done. That's the type of thing that parents, we get excited about stuff. Each of us has our things that we're really interested and passionate about. Whatever your hobby or your passion is, whether it's a sport thing or it's a home thing or it's a, you know any kind of detail. A lot of you that know me that have been at Bridgeway for a while know that if you talk to me about Israel... <laughs> I I get this energy and I start over-talking and I I can't shut up about talking about some of those background pieces or things that I've seen or learned or experienced. When I was a high school pastor and students would learn how much I loved Lord of the Rings and they would start talking to me, I would go off and I would just, "Ah, Lord of the Rings, right? And as a college professor, I do the same thing. Each of us has our thing we get excited about. But here in this text, John is excited about the one who changes everything. And I think the same excitement we can have over all these other things can happen with Jesus because this excited cry of this bouncy now grown man is the most characteristic witness of John to the reality of what Jesus will do because he says he is the lamb of God. That term is not used anywhere else in the gospels. This is specific to John. And not only is he the lamb of God, he's the lamb of God who wipes away the sins of the world. He pardons the judgment that we should take and he reconciles us with God so that we can stand face to face and look into God's eyes. That's why John excitedly starts pointing and skirtowing and moving. And it also reminds us that there's sin in the world and only one person can do something about it. And that's the lamb of God. That is Jesus. And it's not talking just about his like, humbling sacrifice. See, a lot of people, we tend to go right to the like innocence of the lamb. The way that John is using it here in his gospel when he's talking about John the witness's declaration is he's talking about the lamb's ability, his authority, his power to take away the sin. It's the authority, the power of the sacrifice that does it. And this is what he wants the people to see. And so John, in excitement, sees Christmas. He sees the impact of Christmas. And he sees not only to Christmas, he sees through Christmas, and he sees past Christmas into the everyday. And he's excited of how that will affect humanity. And John says, for this purpose I came baptizing, that he may be revealed. He sees that significance, and he sees it with excitement. And in verse 34, he says, I witness and testify that this is the Son of God. And he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He will totally consume and change you. That's why he points with excitement. And so I love all these movements we get in these stories. That Mary comes to Elizabeth, the lesser to the greater, but she's acknowledged as the greater. Jesus is coming to John, the greater to the lesser, but it's the lesser seeing the greater before him and enthusiastically pointing at him. And even later in John chapter three, verse 30, John the Baptist will keep saying, he must increase and I must decrease. That John is so excited about it that he's going, I don't even want you to focus on the excitement I have. I just want you to see him. Which I think is kind of funny because when you read Luke chapter seven, and I feel like John and Jesus as cousins had this little like kind of play that happened back and forth as they were both shaping the world back then. Obviously Jesus the greater, but Jesus says of John, Check this out, John 7, 28. Among those born of women, none is greater than John. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty hefty statement to be spoken over you. When you think of all the characters across the New Testament and the Old Testament that were born onto this world, and Jesus, the son of God, God himself goes, no one's as great as John. And yet John is saying, I must decrease, he must increase. Because it's all about seeing Jesus and being excited about Jesus. And so I feel like in these texts, we get a chance to read and see and hear the enthusiastic witness of John, his enthusiasm about the light of our lives, his bouncy, excited energy to encounter Jesus and declare him to all those around him, to say, behold, he is the one and only that can save us. And so that takes me back to my musings from earlier on. Do we see the brilliant light? Do we believe? Do we seriously believe in Jesus that the true light has come? That we have seen his Shekinah glory? That we get a chance to experience that, to see the lamb of God that takes away my sin and your sin and our sin? Does this cause you to energetically leap in joy when you talk about him? When you encounter him, do you point to him? Do you talk about him? Do you post about him? Do people see us as followers of Jesus that are beaming with joy? Or are we just joysin? Now, I know some of you, you're going, and Pastor Lance talked about this last week, that you're going, I'm an introvert and I'm soft-spoken and you cannot expect me to be like, and pointing. You're right. And Lance addressed that a little bit last week. But I do think that when you are so in love and so captivated and so amazed by the person of Jesus and what he does, that even a soft-spoken person holds a different demeanor and a different tone. It's not about volume. It's not about how much bounciness. I'm not saying that you have to be all out dancing all the time. But I do think that something moves you, something gets you excited. And to finish off our time, I wanna talk about three different ways that we can be an excited witness. Cause I love reading about John and I love his excitement, but we have to go, what does this still look like? How do I learn how to do this? I can't just be John the Baptist. Matt, I don't like eating locusts. They're not very good. Even the salted ones with paprika, but with date honey. Here's my three kind of tips on becoming an excited witness. Number one, be discipled from the excitement of kids. Be discipled by the excitement of kids, little kids. Get away from our adult situations, our adult circumstances, our adult anxieties, our adult stresses, and see why they're excited. See what gets them enthused. We have to learn to look and listen in a new way. There's a gentleman here that teaches some of our classes with me, been at Bridgeway a long time, his name's Cliff Appleby. And I remember Cliff talking to me one time about when you're you're interacting and when you're ministering with kids, and this has stuck with me. He talked about how we have to learn how to sometimes when our kids are smaller and they're shorter, you have to learn how to sometimes get down so you can be eye to eye with them. So that you can really see in their face their excitement and really hear it from them. Now some of you, um, your kids will get older and they'll get taller than you and that means you have to stand on a step stool in order to get eye to eye to see their excitement. Um, You guys know who you are. But to, to, to kind of recognize that we have so much to listen for. And, and for some of us, the challenge becomes at certain seasons that we need to learn how to take these mini computers in our hands and also set them down when our kids come to us with excitement. Because for some of us, that's our struggle. I've failed in that before, where they come up and they're so excited to share something that happened at school or something that's going on, and, and you're just like, one second, one second. And we miss that chance to learn from them what excitement looks like. Even Jesus understood this because in Luke chapter 10, and in all the gospels mention it, some kids want to come up and be with Jesus and the disciples try to prevent it. Remember this story? And Jesus says, no, let them come. And in the Luke 10 account, he says, because God has revealed these things to little children. And you know what's interesting about that? is that whole chapter, part of the context of it is Jesus has sent out 72 disciples to be witnesses of him in all the towns. And it's in that context that he says, he has revealed these things, witness to even little children. We can learn from them. There's a great rabbi, I won't say his name because you won't remember it, who says this. He says, just as an adult gives a child the knowledge and wisdom of life, so the child can give the adult the keys of how to live it. We can impart wisdom in our kids, but then they can show us sometimes how to practice it. Because a lot of us know that for a child, their enthusiasm comes in like a storm. It takes over their world. Kids know how to take joy in the simple things. They know how to trust that what's coming to them is for good because they don't know yet how broken the world is. Kids know how to enjoy and celebrate. Children don't dwell on regrets or challenges the same way adults do so they can move on and allow themselves to still be excited. And so we can learn from kids how to, how to have joy and trust and surrender and hum- humble acceptance of our dependence on Jesus. That's a good recipe for recognizing how great it is to be excited. Number two, become excited by speaking of life and light with others. Become excited about speaking life and life with others. And what I need everyone to realize is that we need to not ride the train that the Western church rides way too much, which is depending on a program or church professionals to be the ones to speak life and light. We do that far too much. We go, no, that's the pastor's job. That's the missionaries jobs. That's the youth ministry job. That's kids ways job. No, that's all of our witness we all have to speak about life and light. And when you do that, it will make you excited. The more you talk about Jesus, the more you get excited about Jesus. And here's the basic simple piece about that. To talk about Jesus, you have to talk about Jesus. (laughs) Don't just talk about church things, talk about Jesus. Share your story. How have you experienced and encountered Jesus? Third thing. Become excited by the power of communal witness. Become excited by the power of communal witness because there is a greater energy and excitement when we are pointing at Jesus together. There's way more power when five or six people are pointing and talking and excited about Jesus than when it's just one person. Have you ever thought about Pentecost? That when God brings the Holy Spirit down, right? The tongues of fire that come down on the early church to start the whole church into action, God doesn't do it with a bunch of individuals in their room. He doesn't have Peter in one house and John in one house and Thomas in one house and Mary in one house. He has all of them together. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes down on them together and they all get excited and start speaking about Jesus together. And that's what sparks the church. Even though Peter's the one that will stand up and start preaching, all the 150 are there pointing to Jesus and talking about Jesus and baptizing in the name of Jesus. And when we do that together, it brings a greater excitement. But all these are tips for those of us that already know the word, that know the Lamb of God, that know who took on flesh and dwelt among us. Some of us, maybe you were brought along here today or you're watching online by chance and you're going, I don't know him, so why would I be excited about him? And that's where I wanna invite you to come and simply allow yourself to come and know him. If you know the Jesus I know, if you meet and you learn and you follow, it gets you excited. Again, it doesn't mean you're smiling and happy all the time. I think that's the false kind of deception we think is that it's gonna make me always happy, no but it makes me always excited because I know what the end looks like because the end is a new beginning. And so I invite you, if you don't know that, to come and experience that. So we want all of us to have more than a Merry Christmas or a Happy Holiday. Let's become those who have a bouncy, rejoicing, shining Christmas. An enthusiastic, excited witness for Jesus with your family, in our culture, online, in every corner. Let's be bouncing babies. Let's be witnesses of light everywhere that we're present. Let's keep saying, behold, experience blessing with me because of who we are blessed by. And so let me close with, a text from Romans chapter 15, verse 13, just one sentence, and then I'll pray for us. Romans 15, 13 says this, and it's a commission. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. And for my prayer, I'm just gonna read a couple sentences from St. Augustine. 1,700 years old, <laughs> he says this, you yourself, Jesus, are our true joy. Happiness is to rejoice in you and for you and because of you and by you. This is true happiness, full of joy, and there is no other. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.